0: Welcome to another edition of Turned at a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And Today on the show, not one, but two incredible guests, one making his return to the show, the great Jason Darcy, who of course plays with Bob Mould, Super Chunk, Sunday Real Estate, he played in and plays his own solo records as well, as his own solo records as well, like a, a one of the greatest guys in music, and... Coming to the show for the first time, director and actor, Michael Shannon. And you might know Michael Shannon from Boardwalk Empire. You might know him from Amsterdam. You might know him from Superman. You might know him from a lot of different projects. Uh, George and Tammy, an incredible show as well. We'll talk about all this in one second. But they are here together because they are collaborating on a tribute to the Murmur record And they will be taking that show on the road More on that in one second But first, if you want to get in touch with me Head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com That is run by my brother and show producer And guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham Thank you Tristan for all the hard work you do And he will get the message to me You can find me on X or Instagram At Lefer Damien. Probably going to start a thread soon uh, if you want to find the show on any social media platforms, you can find Turned Out of Punk at Turned Out of Punk on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, TikTok. So head on over to those platforms and follow and check out some of the stuff that gets posted on there. All right, that is it. I play in a band. We are called Fucked Up. You can find out more information over at fuckedup.cc. If you're listening to this when it first comes out, we are on our way back to Canada after a European tour. So hopefully I got to see some of you out there. If not, maybe next time. Head over, though, to fuckedup.cc. I'm sure there'll be merch, new records, all sorts of fun stuff over there. And upcoming tour announcements as well, if we're going back on the road or anything like that. That'll be posted on there first. And that is it. On to today's show. As I said off the top, coming to the show today, return to the show, Jason New Darcy, who's one of my favorite people to see. uh, Just such a positive spirit. Check out his first episode on the show. It is a fantastic listen. And a guy who Dave Grohl uh, credits with inspiring him to play music. And so... Jason has a pretty key role In the history of rock and roll Through influence And in his own right as well So check out that first episode With Jason And Jason uh, has brought along with him For this return His buddy, Michael Shannon Michael Shannon, of course Is a very well-known Oscar-nominated actor Won tons of other awards For different projects A uh, phenomenal actor If you've not watched George and Tammy It's George and Tammy Not Tammy and George, right? George and Tammy, yeah A Great miniseries looking at, uh, George Jones and Tammy Wynette's uh, decade long relationship with each other. Uh, he sings in it too. He's got an unbelievable voice and it's, it's great. We talk about it on the show and, and we get into the sort of the punk connection on that as well, but he is now with Jason taking this tribute to R.E.M.'s Murmur record on the road and they will be performing Mur- Murmur cover to cover They've done this before with the Martin Lovers record and some other records where uh, they they take it incredibly seriously, as you'll hear in this show uh, when they talk about it. And it's also something that, uh, yeah, a way of them celebrating uh, the music that they love. As I said off the top, they will be taking this on the road in February, so you can head over to over on Jason narducci's uh, Instagram page. I think he's got some links there. Uh, but the dates are as follows. February 1st and 2nd in San Francisco. February 4th in Minneapolis. The 8th in Athens, Georgia. The 9th in Carboro, North Carolina. The 10th in Washington, D.C. The 12th in Admore, PA. The 13th in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And wrapping it all up in Brooklyn, New York on February 14th. So uh, go on out to those shows and check out these guys perform Murmur. I wish I could see that. I wish it was coming to Toronto. Really do. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jason Narducci and Michael Shannon on Turned at a Punk. Jason, Michael, thank you for coming on the show. Our pleasure.
1: Great to be here, Damien. Good to see you
0: well jason as you have been here before you know the drill and i'm very happy to have you back because i will say michael you have picked a hell of a uh a co-pilot on this musical journey you guys are on because jason is one of the most beloved people as you know in all of music oh don't i know it i mean uh i
2: just saw him recently uh open up for bob mold here at uh well the white eagle in jersey city and uh yeah he's a very Charismatic uh, young man. There's no doubt about that, and he can play
0: lights out. Well, I and I've I've cheated and I've listened to you guys uh, on that Talkhouse interview, and uh, so I I have come and prepared. But Jason, you kind of buried the lead when you're talking about Verboten as your first musical endeavor, because you and I both know this is where it starts, right, with the cleaning ladies. <laughs>
1: Well, I did do one video and single with the cleaning ladies before Verboten.
0: That's true. Do you know about this, Michael? No. Jason. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Jason started even younger than Verboten. Jason started. How
2: is it, how is it possible?
0: <laughs> well, I, I at the risk of forcing you to tell the story again, Jason. Maybe you should take over and explain this thing because to me. This band, The Cleaning Ladies, are one of the most underrated Chicago power pop bands. And Stay Away From My Girl is one of the most underrated. Is it Stay Away From My Girl? I'm not butchering the name. Uh, uh, Give Up On My Girl. Give Up On My Girl is one of the, yeah. it's an all-time power pop classic. But Jason, please indulge Michael and myself.
1: Uh, my dad taught uh, film at Northwestern University. And he had some students who were in a band called The Cleaning Ladies. And... I think there was some like social event, some sort of like party or something where my dad took me along. I was probably nine or 10 years old and the cleaning ladies had uh John Anderson, the singer had a, a guitar laying around and I picked it up and it just started playing. And he saw that and he's like, I'm going to write a song for us. So he wrote a song called give up on my girl where we're, we're fighting over the same lady. And, um, not cleaning lady but lady and they made a they made a video of it in which we we physically brawl at the end
0: and you do a fantastic job acting in that video too well thank you you are you are hey amazing. stay in
2: your lane <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know there's there's also that fact that you both well both being actors musicians but also both having professor parents i found interesting too
3: Hmm.
0: oh
2: yeah church yes well yeah my dad was a professor at
0: DePaul university so he was he was down in the city you know well at the risk about making it about myself uh DePaul university is where i played many of my first chicago shows in a classroom oh really really yeah my uh how did that come about my friend mark hurst was a student there and uh he just as punks do Found a way and went in there one day and was like, I think we should have shows here. And was this
1: fucked up or what band? With fucked
0: up, yeah. With fucked up. My other band, Pink Eye, also played one of our few shows there as well. I think (laughs) fucked up played there twice. Wow. Once. Wow. It was awesome. I saw bands from Holland there. I saw bands from Japan there. It was, it was, it was in a a classroom. In a classroom with the, with the, you guys set up a little PA. Uh, they brought in a PA. I don't know. I think you probably would rent the PA from outside and stuff. Yeah. But that's the thing that's amazing about this, this music. And I, well, we'll talk about this later on. But, you know, how this, this music's one part of this thing that happens with punk. But the other part of it is a sort of like anyone can do this thing. And it's, it's mm-hmm. DIY or die. And you'll find a way to make this culture happen. And it just gave people permission to do anything from, from theater to comedy to film, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely the spirit of
2: a lot of the theater I did early on in Chicago. Do it anywhere, anytime. Yeah, I mean, there was a place called Cafe Voltaire on Clark Street. Yeah. Like a vegan cafe, and you could go down in the basement and do plays. Um, You didn't really even have to have any money. They split the door with you, and I did all kinds of crazy stuff down there. yeah Yeah.
0: it's awesome how it's like freeing it is to kind of be able to uh to fail at at making art and be a young person and be making art that older people consider valid and that can succeed with older people and you can wind up creating something that like hits with people that you look up to and you're you're like a kid and there's very few places that allow you that like punk and i guess theater and on like sort of a real sort of like diy level comedy too I think is another place. Pro wrestling yeah. maybe. Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Mike
1: Mike Mike when you did those Cafe Voltaire things was that through a company or was it just you and friends
2: collaborating? Well, uh so I'm part of a company called Red Orchid in Chicago which is over 30 years old. But before Red Orchid, I had started a tiny theater company called The Walking Company which was basically named after the fact that I like to walk so much now the new brand I think called the walking company and I've thought about suing them but I <laughs> didn't copyright the name so um but we would do things crazy things like there's this play called the zoo story which is just two fellas uh basically talking on a park bench and uh my friend at the time, Dan, he was the guy I started the company with. And I said, hey, Dan, wouldn't it be crazy if we did the zoo story without rehearsing so that when you came to see it, if you were at the first show, you were literally seeing the first time that we ever did it. Wow. So we, Yeah, we learned our lines separately. And and then that first performance, uh, the, the only thing we had to figure out before the play started was at the end of the play, one of the characters uh, gets stabbed. So uh, right before the audience came in, me and Dan were trying to figure out how to do this stabbing <laughs> in, in a way where no. and then we looked at each other and said you ready for this and said yep and then the people came in and it actually turned out to be uh in in that you know milieu uh, kind of a, a hit. But, uh, you know, I use the word hit uh, sparingly, you know, because you can only get so many people in the basement there. But we did it for a while, yeah. You
0: know. I, I think that's the other thing that's amazing about both theater and, and certainly punk is that the metrics for success are whatever you make them. So it's like you sell at a basement, that's a hit, right? Like you, <laughs> and, then, and then you can always have, well, if I do find, I don't want success because that would be selling out as your insulation, from any chance of failure. You're like, well, I just never wanted success anyway. <laughs> That's right.
1: Insulation's a good word. <laughs>
0: yes. It's also like the, the, the higher
2: the, the barometer is for success or whatnot, the more constrictions there tend to be on your artistic freedom, you know? So, um, it was that kind of sweet spot where you could really do whatever the heck you wanted. And, um, you didn't have somebody looking over your shoulder saying, well, I don't know if that's such a good idea.
0: It's fascinating because punk well, certainly on this podcast, having people on so many kids came out of theater that wind up doing punk music. Hmm. Um, but going back, like the the movement itself kind of comes out of theater, like theater of the ridiculous and Jane County and Patty Smith, they were all performing in Jackie Curtis plays or, you know, um, you know, the, the, uh, vienna actionist kind of stuff that was inspiring malcolm mclaren and, and the sex pistols and sort of it's it is really out of theater as much as it's born out of rock and roll it's kind of the two meeting you know like street rock and roll and high flute and art aspirations
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. yeah i i think well and that's the thing is like if if you if you go by the basic premise that in order to play punk music you don't have to perhaps be the world's most gifted musician um but you do have to be compelling you know which is a performative thing which is a, a theatrical thing so it, it makes a lot of sense
3: mm-hmm.
0: it's interesting because i also uh cheated and i heard you on uh, i think it was mark maron's podcast michael and you talked about how in acting there's like the the attempt to disappear as a person yes uh, but that's like it's almost like the antithesis of what being a, you know, when I say punk also, I include REM, I include Modern Lovers, I include like, so it's, it's a broad tent, but like the opposite of what punk is and, and then kind of the opposite of what this type of theater that we're talking about is too, where like you have to kind of be there from what you're describing, performing a stage a, a play for the first time, like you found your character, but like you also have to be there in a way that you probably don't disappear. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, ideally,
2: you find some, it's like a Venn diagram, you know, there's some overlap between you and and the per- person you're presenting. I mean, you only can draw on your own life as a resource, as a frame of reference, you know, but uh, I've always thought it was interesting, too, because a lot of uh, the punk uh, personalities over the years that's not really who they are you know they they go out and present like oh my god that guy's scary or this person's crazy or whatever and then you you see him at the diner or whatever and they're just eating a hamburger like anybody else you know it's, it's so um
1: or you see them in flash
2: dance or he's hey leaving Event. Oh, okay. All right. I, I I got confused. You didn't mean flash dancers. You meant flash dancers. <laughs> oh, no, no.
0: Okay. Good. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, you know, but we all know that David Yao's also David Yao. You know, like it's not like that's just a character right. on stage. Like that's where he's he's letting it out. But there's him well, you know, he
2: it. really wants that. He's really wants. He's really interested in acting.
0: Yeah, he's been in some good stuff. Yeah,
2: over the years. we've been tr- trying to find something to do together. Uh, it hasn't panned out yet, but uh, yeah, he's um, he he he. I think if if he had his brothers, he might kind of uh, move away from the 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 music and uh, more towards the acting. I think.
0: The type of performance he does is just so uh, visceral. Like, you can't keep that up forever you, you, just to, like, no. have to go out there.
2: Well, and he hurts himself so much.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, like, I've seen him cut himself. I seen. I saw someone in the audience slash him with a knife one time because there's also… That's,
2: that's not nice.
0: No, it's was terrible. Why, why did, why'd they do that? Yeah, no reason. I was at Texas at a South by Southwest and he was in the crowd and in someone's face and she reached out and slashed him with, a, I think it was a razor. Oh. I don't, I'm not, I might be misread. Oh, he
1: wasn't heart. even performing.
0: He was performing. He, oh, was he was like, you know, he was doing the David Yao in your yeah. face kind of part. of. The not performing. that
1: it's not that that's okay, but yeah. Okay.
0: No, but I think there's like also people come to these shows after a while, I guess, with an expectation of, yeah. of violence or of him hurting himself.
1: I mean, you're one to talk about that, Damien.
0: Well, I try and get away from it now. Like, that's my whole life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mike, the first time I saw Damien was at, uh, and this sounds so funny to say now, but Coachella used to actually have uh, some pretty progressive programming curious Oh, yeah. But in 2009, um, I had never seen Fucked Up, but Bob Mould told me about them. And, um, and I think that was Bob's first show of you guys was. too, wasn't it? It yeah. was, yeah. So my wife and I, um, she came out because it was our, our anniversary and um and and no one knew that she was pregnant with Eva except for us she was maybe 2 months pregnant 3 months pregnant and um we got it we got in the crowd to watch you guys and just the energy did I ever tell you this david the, the <laughs> energy the energy i just looked at her i was like let's take 5 steps back <laughs> and then we did and sure enough, you guys walked on stage, you took your head to the the drum kit, blood all over, and you're in the crowd. And it was like, this is a great band, but I'm glad we took five steps back.
0: <laughs> oh, well, wow. Here, here's where the Man, show... Yeah, I wish I would have seen that. Uh, well, I, I can send you some photos. There's a, uh, a hip-hop website that covered it at the time that said, white people do the dumbest shit. <laughs> <laughs> Had a lot of photos of the set. <laughs> It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's well, I, true. But-
2: I saw probably the greatest performance, a live music performance I've ever seen at Coachella. Uh, it was, and it immediately followed one of the worst live performances i would ever seen.
1: Wow, this is already juicy and good. Let's hear it.
2: Well, the year I went, the big, the big deal uh, was going to be the White Stripes. It was mm-hmm. kind of at the apex of their. Uh, their thing you know and they were on the main stage the whites they uh walked out they, and they it, they just seemed a little overwhelmed i mean there were i don't know 50 60,000 people standing out there staring at them and uh jack white just kind of complained about the sound the whole show and i'm sure the sound was awful because how can you have great sound a little two piece playing for that many people. But nevertheless, uh, it it was unfortunate because I I was a fan and I was looking forward to seeing them and and it was just kind of a bummer. And then they walked off and um, I was like, well, let's go get some food. I was there with my friend Zoran because we were all just kind of um, I don't know, disappointed. And then People were milling around and not really looking at the stage. And all of a sudden, I'm not looking at the stage. I'm trying to figure out whether I want a hot dog or a beef sandwich or whatever. And all of a sudden, behind me, I hear, hey, motherfuckers. And everybody, every head in that audience, it was like whiplash. It was like, whoa, (laughs) what's happening? And Iggy Pop walked out on stage. And he had just put the Stooges back together. Of course, uh, the bass player had passed, so he had Mike Watt on bass and proceeded to just completely decimate the place. I mean, it was like a religious experience. I mean, I'd never seen that much energy come out of one human being. It was, um, I think about it all the time. Wow. And um, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers had to go on after him, and they waited an hour before they <laughs> went on stage because <laughs> yeah. they're like, "This isn't fair. We, this, this is ridiculous. Why are you making us do this? Because this man just gave the greatest rock performance of all time of yeah. all
0: time. I saw them. Do you ever give with them, Jason? Do you ever do a show with those guys?
2: The Stooges.
0: Yeah." yeah the greatest like it's, it's crazy how oh
1: i mean and mike i hear you because it's like you know he's not a large man he's a little man and but the power i mean to use the word that's obvious but the power that comes off of him and I, one thing that i noticed and this was this was riot fest in denver and like replacements were on the bill too um i was there with super chunky, It was probably like 2014 or something like that maybe 10 years ago 18 year olds singing along to the stooges they knew every word it was that music just transcends all the all of those things and then the way he performs it is uh and i could see he also has this little tent off the side (laughs) i don't know if that's like oxygen or what but like he will sometimes go off there. While Watt is like humping the amps or something and then it comes back out and just supercharges and pretty phenomenal.
0: But sometimes you...
2: they have to carry him off the stage. Like it's yeah. second he crosses the second he yeah. knows nobody can see him anymore, he collapses.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Someone has
2: to drag him around.
0: Yeah, that's exactly like we we played with them one time. It was the day after they had all their gear stolen in Montreal.
2: Oh shit. Um,
0: and we got asked to do the bill, jump on the bill kind of last minute at Massey Hall. Like where are you know, the Neil Young live records forum. I saw Cats there. I saw Noam Chomsky do a lecture there one time. Um, and uh, we're like, okay, well, you know, we're not going to top the Stooges in any songs because they're, you know, like you're saying, they're the greatest of all time. But like, I've got energy. And so I said, we'll go out there and we'll just blow people's minds with our energy. And I had a cordless mic. I was running around. They came out on stage with borrowed gear. And just wipe the floor. <laughs> <laughs> See, this reminds me because
2: I worked with Henry Rollins once. We did this really silly movie, um, and he was. Uh, we were shooting in a swamp one night, and we it was one of these terrible situations where you are just up all night sitting in the mud in a swamp, oh, and. God. Uh, uh, trying to shoot this opening sequence to the Bad Boys Two movie. but uh we we struck up a conversation and he was really cool. And I told him about seeing Iggy and he said, he said, I was on a tour. It was Rollins band, The Cure, and Iggy. what and and I was the opener. Rollins was the opener, and the cure was the headliner. And Iggy was the middle band and they were touring in Europe. And the first night of the tour, Rollins was so freaking nervous because Iggy was his hero. And, and he, he had to go on first and, and they all had to play on the cure set, which had all these, he said they had all these like giant potted plants all over the stage or something. They had some, you know, curish type set and um so Rollins is just you know getting all worked up before he goes out on stage and he's walking out on the stage and Iggy's standing there in the wings and he watches his set and Ron says, he's like I gave everything I gave the best I've never done it harder than I than that and then he walks off and Iggy's standing there and he looks at him and he says, yeah, that was that was pretty good. <laughs> and Rollins is like, oh, gee, Iggy, thank you. And then Rollins stands there and he watches Iggy go out. And Iggy does his set. And by the time Iggy's set is over, all of the potted plants have been <laughs> destroyed. The stage is covered in, like, mud and plants. And Iggy walks off with like mud and blood all over him and he goes up to Henry and he says you can try as hard as you want man but you're never going to you're never going to beat me. Oh
0: my wow. god. 100%. All you do is charge him up. Yeah. You know? He's absorbing your power and he's going to yeah. throw it back in your face.
1: It was yeah. like a Detroit street fight. It's crazy. He is
0: And like he was doing like head first stage dives into the seats it's a seated venue and he's flying off and like no that's why he collapsed like you're saying he does he literally collapses right as soon as he gets backstage and has to be carried carried off but yeah it's interesting though like you said with the white stripes like how a change in a venue though like the white stripes are one of the most powerful live bands in a small space but yeah how do you translate that to a bigger space, you know, like certain venues where you have to scale it up. You just can't do it in the same way. And you know, I think that's what you see with Jack White's solo stuff. It's it's a lot bigger in his presentation.
2: Yeah, like I was watching um, I don't know, what's the rack and tours or something and the Austin City Limits show. And they 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 put on a hell of a show. But I think it was also something about, and I don't mean to disparage her, but like Meg White's drumming is a little can be a little lethargic sometimes and i don't think it suited that uh i don't know it just it it, it was too diffused i think by the space
0: well i think anything like that kind of drumming because she's right she is like her type of drumming and there's like mo tucker and there's like a there's a tradition of this kind of drumming but it is it's such a sparse type of drumming that you you can't fill you know when we went on coachella like and here's where I'm going to let you guys behind the scenes. I didn't actually hit my head on the drums. I pulled out a razor blade and had taken a bunch of aspirin and nicked my forehead as...
1: I wasn't going to say anything. I'm sorry. I had to let Michael <laughs> in on the... Uh,
3: the straight. Which is a, a pro
0: wrestling. It's a pro wrestling thing that the wrestlers do. And uh, and that's what gave me those sheets of blood. And didn't give me a concussion, too. But Coachella did make well, us by the microphone.
1: Yep. Really?
0: Yeah, but they, the guys like you got to buy this microphone. I'm like, why? And he turns it upside down, and blood starts pouring out of the microphone. Oh dear!
1: <laughs> I, I was already won over by the music, but when you went into the crowd, pouring blood out, and the song ended, and you said, "Hey guys, I just want to let you know that I've been tested." That's when I was like, "I'm all in with this band."
0: Well, I feel I feel tested for what? I, I, I would get myself tested for STIs because I felt like if I'm going to be bleeding on people which i would not do now as a parent of three there's no way i i really regret all this stuff and i really wish there was no such thing as google because Uh (laughs) (laughs) well on a practical note though is
2: is it i hear you don't get a sound check at coachella
0: no i don't think we did no i think it's just like a line check um Uh. which i'm fine with but yeah i imagine if you're like trying to find the sound but like you're saying like there's just you you can't translate it like that play that you did in the basement do you think that would have worked on broadway like could you no could- hell no no way yeah
2: no we would have been it would have been a disaster
0: yeah yeah and there's like this sort of i don't know there's like that's the amazing thing is there's so many people we all meet in our lives at different levels whether bands are like the best or they're the best actor at i imagine you know i'm saying this is someone looking from the outside in uh at that level but they just can't scale it up to whatever the next level requires and then eventually everyone's going to hit a ceiling with what they're doing and the white stripes are one of those glitches in the matrix where it just got so much bigger than i think even they ever thought it would
2: right yeah
0: what was the first time you heard punk, Michael? That's actually what I'm supposed to ask at the very beginning of the show, but we got go Oh, back. well. Or heard the word, even the phrase, the word.
2: I don't know if I'm going to be able to pop that off, but I will say that um, when I was uh, maybe 13, um, I became obsessed with uh, the talking heads. And uh, I still maintain that obsession to this day, but but it was more fevered, I guess, back then. But um, I had all the records, and um, I uh, at some point I can't do it anymore. I actually somebody tested me on it the other day, and I kind of failed. But I used to be able to rattle off all the songs on all the albums and album order Uh, but uh yeah and i had videos and uh i I even had this weird video they put out called storytelling Giant," which was a compilation of all their music videos um yeah i was just obsessed with them so that was my first and then that kind of led to uh some other music um but I remember the first time I came to New York, all I wanted to do was go to CBGB's. And then I went there and I don't know, the, <laughs> the match was gone. But but I, I didn't care because I was still in, in the room, you know. And the people that were playing, were they were fine. They weren't terrible, but it just wasn't. But I just sat there and thought about all the bands that had been there, you know
0: oh it's crazy like we we, I think it also depends obviously the night you go like I I lucked out the one time I got to play there was one of my favorite shows we ever played did you play there Jason you must never did no oh man it was yeah like it was when it was good it was incredible the crow's nest people diving off the crow's nest and people like sitting on top of the stage like it really does and but it's I guess it's like anything else. It's like the magic actually doesn't come from the room. It comes from the people. Like, here's this room that everyone that went there during the early years just talks about it, the smell because, you know, Healy's dog was shitting on the floor and they were making chili. <laughs> oh, <all God>. <laughs> <other day. laughs>
1: that's, that's quite a combo.
0: <laughs> yeah. The smell must have been intoxicating. The oh, man. <laughs> but if you look at the big four, the, the CBGB's big four being like Blondie, the Ramones, talking heads. talking heads, and Dead Boys, you kinda have like the the four heads of what punk is, you know, like the aspiring rock stars that are debauchers and the dead boys, uh, the the pop geniuses in Blondie, the art geniuses and the talking heads, and the street thugs in Johnny Ramone. From yeah. all Yeah, it's like a compass of yeah. punk music <laughs> it is it is and ever ever since then it's like where do you place yourself within these uh four polarities of this thing yeah why well, was always i mean i
2: was I, yeah i was always i would say in kind of the artsy uh arty uh quadrant myself although <clears throat> i'm I, I like to thrash around and all that um but I don't know. I just thought, uh, I mean, Talking Heads, uh, I mean, this word gets thrown around a lot, but I, I feel like they're pretty unique. I, I don't think there's any other band that really, I know they have a lot of influences and and they even own up to them very openly, but uh, it's just, and each one of those records is so different from the other, you know, it's yeah. like, i mean when fear of music came along i was like oh where the hell did this come from you know this isn't like more songs about buildings and food and then remain in light comes out and you're like gee whiz these guys can do anything
1: yeah like did we ever talk about the the adrian balud days
2: oh no well he was he went on tour with them a lot i know because he's on that that great concert record the name of this band is talking heads yeah, He's I had no, I,
1: I had no idea, and I'm sure, Damien, you've had Brendan Canty on on the show, but
0: no, not yet. Oh, you haven't? No, oh. I've, I've, I'm like really lacking in Fugazi and Minor Threat members on this uh, on this podcast. I mean, Brendan's awesome. I feel like though, I, I feel like they're almost like Jesus-like figures. Like I'm doing a podcast about <laughs> <for> Christianity, <laughs> and, and the Elder Christ. So to have them on might <laughs> might blow up the whole formula.
1: Brendan, I, I was. This was like a year ago. I was at Brendan's house and he he was talking about the Talking Heads and he's like he brought up Adrian Belew and I I don't know how I missed that but he, I think it's that concert you're talking about, Mike. It's actually on YouTube and I think it's at Madison Square Garden. Mm. So much bigger than I realized and there's Adrian mm. Ballou not only playing guitar but singing like a, a prominent role in the band. I just had no idea. Such yeah. an interesting little. You know corner of their history
0: <clears throat> I also feel like Jerry Harrison's like such an underrated person in the history of music like just his contribution obviously to modern lovers and and, and them too just like a, and as a producer and as a producer too just yeah. like like that's the when you listen and I wish I got to see you guys cover that record because that's like I think the greatest record of all time but <laughs> no, that, it, but like when you listen to it with headphones and you hear these organs on like hospital and stuff, you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. this is what's, this is what's driving this thing in a, in a real way.
2: Oh yeah. Hospital is just, I uh, just words fail me. Yeah. It's one of the, yeah, that's a really uh, surprisingly, I found that album very difficult to sing. It's very hard to sing like Jonathan Richmond. Um, Cause he's like, it sounds like he's not putting much into it, but he's actually very a very skillful singer. It's hard to sound I don't it's it's it sounds at first glance like you know irony or sarcasm, but it, it's also very <laughs> yeah. earnest at the same so time. Right. It's, totally. like, it's a real head fuck. It's like are, do you mean this or not? I can't <laughs> yeah. tell. You know? It was really weird.
1: Well, you did it, Mike. Mike, uh, you did a fantastic job that night. I thought that was a that was one of my favorite shows that we've done.
2: Oh Um, yeah, well I love
1: and yeah. When you picked that record, I was like, "Oh man, Jonathan Richmond, he's a tough one." Um, But the fact that that record came out in 1976, and I think it was recorded in '74.
3: I
0: mean,
3: yes,
0: way, way three. I think. I think it's seventy-three. Really. Yeah, because I think Um, it's like two sessions. It's crazy. It's crazy. Why? I I would put She Cracked up
1: against any punk rock song. I think that it's like way ahead of its time.
2: Well, there's an early early version of it. I used to have, or some of the songs on it anyway, that that Kim Fowley had produced. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? It sounds a little different. But this was early. This is like, I think the delay in getting it out was... I don't know. I think Kim tried to insert himself into it and then they're like no, this doesn't cuz it didn't sound as good the Kim Fowley version as what eventually came out.
1: Was it lacking the the urgency?
2: I don't know. It sounded it just sounded kind of goofy. It didn't have hmm. the kind of ominous undertone to it. Um it was just more I just flatter or
0: something. I don't know. I don't think it has the organ, right? Like I don't think Jerry Harrison plays on the Kim Fowley stuff. I remember. Like, I think Rhino did like a CD with both versions. On, yeah. On um, but I think that might be the difference. If I remember. I don't know. I might be misremembering be mis- that because I Jerry remember Jerry Harrison used the difference. I mean, how yeah. cool is that to be in those two bands?
2: I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who totally. gets to do that? Yeah. yeah, it's
0: like being in the Beatles and Rolling Stones. <laughs> well, and I will go one further than you, Jason, on She Cracked going up against any punk song. I think this predicts all of punk. You know, I'm Straight is the first straight edge song ever. You know, that I is. would say Hospital predicts emo in a way that all yeah. emo bands could only hope to get as, yeah. like you're saying, like like that emotion, like that you bleed on that track the pop punk on there
1: government center is total pop
0: punk government there's art punk there's like it's really like uh it's such an incredible record and very much like milo goes to college where the a side is a completely different story than the b side Mm -hmm. and that's why i thought when you guys did it i'm like that's what it would take is someone like how mike when you approached it you were you like i'm going to do this As me, or are you like, I'm going to do this as a role where I'm being the lead singer of The Modern Lover? Still being yourself, obviously, in that role, but like, were you trying to be Jonathan Richmond? Well, I
2: listen to the songs a lot, and I listen to him sing them a lot. And I wouldn't say I'm like trying to mimic him, but I'm definitely trying. I, You know, I want it to be the record, you know? Because that's what people are excited to hear. It's like, but with the knowledge that um, I'm not going to sound exactly like Jonathan Richmond, spirit was there for sure. Possibly. Yeah, but uh, the same thing with Murmur. You know, I mean, I can't sing like Michael Stipe, but but I I studied the music. I I mean, I listen to these songs. 100, 150 times before I sing them. Um, I mean, I lose track, honestly, how much I listen to them. But it's like a devotion, you know? It's like um, there's something kind of monastic about it. It's like I just decide that I'm going to devote myself to a particular record for a particular amount of time. And I listen to it every day, and I memorize all the lyrics when we played with John Merster, right for the murmur show he was like wait a minute you don't have any lyrics sheets and i'm like no and he was like, i think that was the thing he was most impressed by but i guess i'm an actor so i'm used to like memorizing things but
1: yeah but not all actors can do that many songs like that
2: not even like well, remember when we did that. highway 61 revisited yeah I memorized yeah. Desolation Row, and that's at oh the end of uh, <laughs> that record.
1: There's more verses in that song than the 26 <laughs> R.E.M. songs we did. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's like when you guys invite, when Bob's like, hey, do you want to come down and do Divide and Conquer with us tonight? Yeah. Which Oscar yeah. do for me, Michael, is like, that's like my that's my Elvis, you know, like that's like my North Star. So yeah. like you know, I'm like, yeah, definitely listen to this song a thousand times. To memorize it was insane. I had cheat notes all up my arm, which I didn't want to be eating. Bob cut the song short. He's like, No, I couldn't. I didn't want to play the whole thing. Don't worry.
1: Oh, which, where was that? Was that Austin? Where did we do that? No, that that was
0: in at the horseshoe. Oh, right. God, that was fun and hot. Remember how hot that was? And it drew, I drew so much ire from the (laughs) older punks in Toronto on Facebook (laughs) because they were so jealous. And I got invited to do that. It was amazing. I felt uh, very, uh, you know, very honored to have that happen. But are you, you earned having... it. Well, I don't. I don't know. I feel like I feel. I feel very fortunate that. That's why we're talking about having metrics and goals and setting your goals. Like this is all I want to achieve. Like this is beyond my wildest dreams. What I've gotten to do so far. So yeah. Like, I played with the Stooges. I got to sing with Bob Mold you know like i, I really i'm a, I, all i want to do is be a punk singer so yeah did you want to be on screen or did you want to just be would you be just content being on stage and the screen thing just kind of wound up happening
2: well yeah i uh i love doing theater the best the most um the um, the screen thing came around uh partially as a financial consideration because you don't make any money doing theater unless you're a big broadway star or something uh but in chicago when i was doing plays if a tv show or a movie came around um you could make some money uh if you were lucky enough to get on one of those and then i was doing a play here in new york city actually and I met this fella who said he wanted to be my manager and he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. So I I, I went with him and he said, now you got to go to LA. You got to go to LA and I'm going to, I'm like, I don't want to go to LA. He's like, are you crazy? Why not? I said, I know so many of my friends have gone out to LA and it just sounds really sad. And they all work at like pizza places. They deliver pizzas and, I don't want to do that. He's like, well, I don't think that's going to happen. I said, okay. So I went out there and I got real lucky and I got a a bunch of cool gigs and made some cash. And then after a couple of years, I was like, okay, I'm going back to Chicago. And I went back to Chicago to do a play. And I've figured out now a way to kind of, have my cake and eat it too, which is pretty, pretty lucky. But um, yeah, I'm doing a play right now. Uh, about to our first show is Saturday night, actually. So, but I've over the years, I've I've, I've certainly grown to appreciate uh, movies, uh, doing movies, and and even a little bit of the TV work I've done. But uh, but I always want to get back on stage, basically.
0: Yeah, it feels like, I don't know. Like, I don't know about you, Jason, but I definitely feel very comfortable going back to playing with no stage on the floor of a community space. I could play that DePaul classroom tomorrow and I'm probably way more comfortably than I could ever at any level that we've kind of faked getting to, like opening for the Foo Fighters or anything like that.
1: I like both.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, remember when we
2: played that, that the uh, the VFW uh, in Evanston, yeah, that was kind of like that vibe, right? And we that, and
1: we played a Stooges song,
2: yeah, yeah, we Ooh, did. It was
1: fun. What's the did you my, you my band split single was playing. Um, there's this venue in Evanston called Space. It's a it's a fantastic venue, but they do these outdoor festival series called Out of Space. And Jeff Tweedy was doing a solo headlining thing outside, and they. They, put, they asked Split Single if we wanted to play in this 200-capacity via It really was like a VFW. It's like walking straight into 1978 when you walk in PA, vibes. PA on a stick. Yeah, the stage is four inches off the ground. And we Split Single opened with seven new songs, which felt great. And then Mike was in town and I asked him if he wanted to come, come sing a song. And um, I want to be your dog. And then there was another song that was almost the exact same title. I want to be. I want to be
2: adored. Yeah, I was like, uh, I want to sing. I want to be your dog,
0: and I want to be adored.
1: Yeah, I want to be songs.
0: What, yeah. what oh, do you go from? I want to be your dog into? I want to be adored because it seems like hard to come back from. I want to be your dog. Energy level. I think dog was last. Okay. Yeah. I think, well yeah. played. Yeah. Well played. Yeah. Do you, you find because Jason like when you were on last time? you gave like I, the most insight to me I've ever had about, you know, being a man and, you know, versus being a solo, doing your solo thing or doing mm-hmm. your own band where you were like, you have to be a good hang. And also like, and I, but since then I've talked to like Robert Trujillo and I've talked to like, um, Chris Shiflet like people that mm-hmm. have joined bands that were already in there and having to adapt to it. And there is kind of like this sort of, I don't know. Well, you tell me, is there like a role-playing aspect to it? Like when you're on stage trying to play to this band's style or who this band is, but is there also like, kind of like, until you kind of get your bearings, you you have to kind of play (laughs) completely neutral in a way that you can in your own band, or at least I could never do.
1: It is a little bit of role-playing in that um, I find myself getting physically prepared for tours, you know, like, sounds stupid but like core work or stationary bike stuff just because of the physical demand certainly the bob mold band where there's only three people in the band and so sort of, the power has to come from all of us pretty evenly um and super chunk is a physical thing too you know I, since i did the podcast last time i've been jumping in with sunny day real estate mike came to a a brooklyn show that we did and that's yeah. much less physical but more articulation there's a lot of single note, I'm playing guitar, which is another different thing Mm -hmm. instead of playing bass and backing harmonies and just sort of like a level of precision and um, detail work that's unique to, you know, like Super Chunk and Bob Mould, it's more about power than it is about precision. But um, in all those situations, I am trying to be supportive and be positive energy. Um, And I think that's just from years and years of touring with people and recognizing that Sometimes when people are caught up in their own thing or they just, uh, any kind of negative energy can really bring the whole thing down, <laughs> you know? Like for me, maybe I'm just sensitive to it, but that's my that's my try. I'm, I don't know if I'm uh, perfect at it, but that's, th- that's the energy that I'm trying to bring is just supportive and positive and kind of checking in with people. And then also backing off and being quiet. I mean, Sunny Day Real Estate, I forget what show you came to, Mike, but we did two Brooklyn Steals, And at one of them, they were really struggling with uh, what the set list should be. It must've been the second show, um, how to differentiate it from the first one. And it took a while. And I just, you know, inside my brain, I'm like, well, I have some ideas about this. But then I was like, it's not my role here. I'm just going to sit back and let, that, let these guys who have been together for 30 years work through. And it wasn't like an argument or anything, but they were in deep discussion about what to play. And I had to just kind of watch, you know, and just let it play out the way it was going to play out. But I don't, I don't know if I have any, you know, like, uh, I I just try to fit fit that role when I'm, when I'm playing with other people's bands.
0: Also on like stage level performance wise, like you can't do what you do. You can't be Jason from the Bob Mould trio in sunny day, right? Like you can't, you know like people would not that energy would not go over
1: totally yeah it's like what is that
0: one guy doing (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Yeah, absolutely (laughs) taking cues from from the other band members dan in that band is, is is probably the most physical as far as movement and then william with his drum playing it's very physical but it's it's not lateral it's just kind of centered energy and um but they have their own power. You know, there's a lot of power in that. There's slower tempo songs and, and
0: uh, emotive, obviously. All, all out of hardcore, too. Every single band you play in.
1: Oh, they're huge. They're massive Fugazi fans. They're massive oh. Fugazi fans.
0: Deeper than that, we're talking about uh, members of uh, Resolution and uh, Galleon's Lap. And there's like deep DIY hardcore. Vibes to them like straight edge hardcore vibes, too. I remember Jeremy had like some crazy hardcore band back in the day, too.
1: He did, but they were also showing me video of the three of them playing when he was like 16. Yeah, they've known each other a long time. Yeah, that, <clears throat>
3: yeah,
0: I, I think that Seattle stuff that gets kind of overshadowed by the Nirvana thing is so fascinating. Like all these other bands that were kind of happening, and I don't know, it's, it's such a, a vital period for, for yeah. music, though.
1: incredible music city
0: yeah um you know it's interesting like when you look at like punk starting and john Lydon said that his main influence as a performer was uh richard the <laughs> third olivier's <laughs> performance like it wasn't actually a musician what he was yeah. it was this sort of you know but it is does it does have that kind of like performative element the whole way through mm-hmm. as, a, as much as it's meant to be real well yeah that's
2: what i was talking about earlier you know it's like that cat's not johnny rotten all the time but when he goes up he puts on that persona and he's he's probably basing that persona yeah on all on, it does not surprise me to, i i didn't know that but it doesn't surprise me to hear that at all.
0: i think he says i think he says in that julian temple documentary that they did hmm. uh Filth of fury where he's talking about it but it makes sense because he's not you know much like iggy pop like i always and i, I never asked him this actually and i really regret it but like there's no influence for Iggy pop in the same way, I guess there's no influence for Michael Stipe or, or Jonathan Richmond. Like these people were coming from like a completely unique place with it. Like you're yeah. saying with David Byrne too. And not okay. to be replicated
1: as many yeah. people tried. try. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 I remember cause
2: I, I, I had been cause I kind of, I, I've had the good fortune to develop, a, a, a smidge of a relationship with Mr. Stipe uh, over the years, and I debated to, whether to tell him I was doing this or not, because I thought part of me thought, well, maybe he'll just think I'm an idiot for trying to do something like that, <laughs> or you know, or get upset about it. But he was, but he was really sweet about it, and I, I kind of told him, I don't know, a day or two before the show, and he was very supportive, and he said, oh, I'm so flattered, and Thank you, and da da da. And then I said, and then I was like, "But how do you do this?" And he's like, "Yeah, I don't know." He told me to stomp my feet on the ground uh, before I went out to get grounded. That was Mm. his. uh, That was his piece of advice. And then he he sent me a picture of him with a big smile on his face, (laughs) and I made a. Made it my screensaver for a couple of days and then I put one of my kids back on
0: there because that's that's you supposed to be there. I, I get that vibe, yeah. Well, that's the thing that's amazing when you have kids is like no matter how great the accolade, no matter how amazing the moment is, the reality is, as soon as you get home, you can have no ego because they will chop you the fuck. Down. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I thought I was cool. I thought I was cool, but now my I got a fourteen year old. I'm a yeah. fucking loser. I'm a loser. <laughs>
2: well, you're passing the baton. Now they're cool.
0: Yeah, you so, don't get yeah. to be cool forever, I guess. Well, and if, if they're if they're financially stable, let me tell you, I'd much prefer to be financially stable than cool. Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> I don't want to be a cool homeless person. <laughs> <laughs> And also you like to look at these people that at one time were like the cool you brought him up earlier, Kim Fowley. Like at one point Kim Fowley was like the coolest person, except to people that actually were around him, it seems. And now, of course, he's definitely not cool. You, you know, no. I think that your performance of him is probably my favorite part of that movie. Oh,
2: thanks a lot. Well, I you know, it was an awkward situation for me because when I agreed to do the part. I didn't really know much about him. And then and then I spent some time with them and hung out with him. Um, there was this one day where me and Joan Jett and uh, Kristen Stewart and uh, Kim Fowley met at a Denny's in the Valley. And we sat in a booth and Kim Fowley walked in with all these clippings and like photo scrapbooks and things and proceeded to go through his whole life to make sure that I understood everything. And it, it was, it was a very awkward situation. And then I, you know, it came to light after kind of, as I was shooting the movie, it was like, you know, this might kind of be a sanitized version of this whole scenario. And then Someone said, Have you ever seen this documentary? And oh, it seems like he might have been kind of shady with people. And and then I was like, Oh dear, I shouldn't have done this, but by then it was kind of too late. But I don't know. Joan Jett was there when we were shooting and and she she supported it. Um I actually saw her. I took my daughter to see uh, the New York Liberty. They were in the WNBA finals. And I had no idea, but Joan Jett is like a massive New York Liberty fan. It goes to all the games. So I got to introduce my daughter to Joan Jett. So that made me pretty cool. (laughs) That's awesome. For a, a moment. Yeah. I was shocked that my daughter knew who Joan Jett was, but she was, it was the first time I've actually seen Sylvie kind of speechless. Like she said, you know, I like your jacket, you know, but I could tell she was struggling to figure out what to say to Joan Jet.
0: You talk about Jonathan Richmond level pioneers of this thing, the runaways were like, yeah, it, it wouldn't be this without them.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: I would love, no, love I, just, I just, loved, I just love, I just love her so much.
2: Um, and she's so kind and, yeah, down to earth, you
0: know. She also like, You think about her, you know, and and people have come on the show and debated how much actual work the Germ session was. But then what she did with the Bikini Kill record, but sure, being in the room for the Germ stuff and in the room for the Bikini Kill record where she actually really did produce that record. It's like talking about two of the most significant records to come out of punk ever afterwards. And she's still involved in it. You know, she's still involved in bands and, and playing music and stuff like what an inspiration.
1: She's touring constantly. Yeah. I just saw her like, I don't know, six weeks ago or something.
0: She has a Hot Wheels car. I bought my wife a Hot Wheels, Joan Jett truck, semi-truck <laughs> a couple of years really? ago. Really? Yeah. That's
1: so great.
0: <laughs> she is a, uh, she's a great, Like
1: Mike, when you met with her at the at the Denny's, was was
2: her manager with her? No, it was just the uh, four of us. Okay. But I, I have met. Um, Kenny. Yeah, I met Kenny. Yeah. Kenny was at the basketball game. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But uh, no, it was just the four of us. Yeah, I'd love if you did like uh, I don't know. I don't like you're pitching, but if you did, someone did a movie about Kim Fowley and Ronnie Bingenheimer and that weird relationship oh. those two guys had, oh, you revisiting man. that character as they grow old together, it's such a oh, it's, it's so there's it's so layered in horrificness and just well, um, wasn't
2: there a documentary about Bingenheimer?
0: There is, and it does not make him look great in that. And it's it's meant to be a very flattering documentary, and does not necessarily make him look too good in in the best of no. ways. Um, but I no. think they're they're at a time where and there's not a lot of heroes if you really start digging below the surface with a lot of these musicians. Oh, geez, that scene! Oh, god, no, I don't think so. It's pretty and that, decrepit, and that's also like weirdly like that's a lot of these kids that were sadly part of this sort of young groupie scene because that's what it was called you know around this rodney's english disco wind up being the first punk kids like these kids that kind of like expose this sort of you know trauma wind up being the kids that populate the first punk scene
2: yeah well unfortunately it kind of makes sense because i think yeah a lot of people that gravitate towards wanting to make that music or are traumatized in one way or another
0: 100 percent. that comes up on the show all the time um nicole panter who managed the germs said punk is people with trauma inflicting trauma on other people (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) sadly true one of the speaking of la punk though one of the scenes that popped me bigger like just blew my fucking mind is on george and tammy like, the whole time I'm watching it with Lauren, I'm like, there's this punk song by the Maggots called Let's Get Tame and Wynette. They, yeah. I'm like, if they get to the episode and they're talking about the kidnapping stuff and they play that song, how insane would that be? Joking. And then it happened, Michael. It <laughs> sure did. Yeah, that, that's an amazing sequence. The amazing they, sequence. An, an unbelievable yeah. record. Like, a, I wish I hadn't traded my copy that seven inch away because I'll never get another one. Yeah, it's probably hard to find. Jesus, Uh, the original version of it actually came with pet maggots, and they were glow in the dark maggot toys in a little box. And I unfortunately did not have that version because I think that one goes for thousands of dollars.
2: Oh boy. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, I wonder, but I really did. Did it? Did it change
2: your feeling about the song at all? Knowing how tormented that poor
0: woman was in her life. I think punk is a lot of it's about playing with stuff you shouldn't play with, and I think that song was always like knowing what I knew, just like looking at the cover where it's a photo of her with a legit black eye, like that's not makeup, and it's and it's like fuck, she went to hell, and like I thought that I think that show your voice is crazy on that show, holy shit! But uh, oh, thank you. That show's amazing. Like just it made me actually. I don't like country music at all, but I definitely. Started listening to both of them afterwards because of that. Yeah, me too. I wasn't like
2: up on that music myself, but you know, like like I was saying earlier about when we do a record or something, I definitely God knows how many times I listen to those songs. But there's some incredible songs in there.
0: And, and, and he's, uh, sorry, go ahead.
2: yeah. And there's songs I would love to hear like punk versions of. You know, like some of George's songs, like you could, uh, The Race is On or The Door. I mean, because it's got, they've definitely got like really dark, big emotions in them that would be fun to recontextualize in the, you know, punk aesthetic.
0: I think you guys found your next project. <laughs> like that would be amazing like this definitely do this yeah because you're right it, it is but it's real music like I think that's what really came across And it like this is reality music for these yeah even when other songwriters were writing the songs for them too like isn't that should... spooky like that guy George Ritchie writing all those songs
2: for Tammy and George marrying Tammy shooting her up with drugs writing songs about their lives and then they sing them and everybody's like oh this is their lives and it, it's it's almost like a chicken and the egg thing it's like are the songs that's what I that's what I was so fascinated by it's like are they living the songs or are the songs living them or like, if somebody wrote them some happy songs, would they be happy? A- <laughs> right,
0: <yeah. laughs> it's just very spooky. It, it's it's very spooky. And, like, you kind of get the vibe that George was one of those guys that, even though did scale up huge, also dealing with trauma and abuse, but, like, probably would have been more comfortable just playing in that. I don't know. Juke joint might, might not be the, the country bar type thing. Oh, yeah. So- yeah, he didn't like the big. He
2: didn't. He didn't really like the spotlight. It didn't seem like to me.
0: Yeah, and it's like this Faustian deal that you have to make, and that they both make. Where you know they 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 made this amazing music. They had this incredible run, but like, it, it seemed to eat them up alive. In a lot yeah, of
2: ways. it really did. It really did. But that's that's the
0: story of this. You know, how many people has that happened to? I thought it was interesting. The one thing was uh, the KLF, the portrayal of the KLF stuff, with mm-hmm. him, where that's like meant to, it's it shown kind of like that's a dark period. And obviously her, her daughters were inv- heavily involved in the movie, I believe, or the series, right, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that must have been the way it was, but I always felt that was portrayed like that was like one of the kind of like up points for her.
2: Well, it was the biggest hit she ever had, or was the biggest, you know, the highest selling song she ever participated in i guess but um but yeah at that time i think she was pretty deep into the drugs and stuff you know?
0: yeah 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 yes and, and i guess that's the other thing with punk too like it's sadly there's so many names of people that you could just run through that are, that didn't make it through that it's glamorized in the way it also is in country music the the drug abuse in a certain level like johnny thunders right like the guitar and yeah. all guitar heroes yeah, it brings to mind this game
2: I used to play with my siblings when I was a kid. We, You'd have to run down the hallway. So there were four of us, and one of us, usually my little brother, because was, it was the funnest to do it to him. Um, and then the other three of us would be in random rooms with pillows, <laughs> and you had to run down the hallway, and we tried to, like, whack you in the face with a pillow when you passed us. And then I, the object for you was to try and not get hit. But usually you did, and you wound up on your ass. And that's kind of like what a, a career in the music business is.
0: Yeah. like Trying the- to make it down the hallway without getting
2: whacked in the face with a pillow.
0: Well, yeah, because you look at the biggest bands and, you know, it doesn't necessarily seem happy in, in a no. lot of cases
2: unless you're jason arduce and he's smiling all the
0: time it's so obnoxious <laughs> that's he's wearing he's wearing the mask that's what he said you got to be that positivity <laughs> that i'm playing is. my role yeah he's playing yeah. his role <laughs> he's gonna be it well I-, I could keep you both all day and punish you both all day but um I-, I imagine you have a lot to do but before i let you go uh jason who's coming up what's the next shows coming up you're saying they have an opener
1: yeah, so uh, for the Murmur tour, we have uh, two San Francisco shows, February 1 and February 2, um, as part of Sketchfest. Are you familiar with Sketchfest?
0: Only because I've seen those insane flyers with everybody in comedy playing. Yeah,
1: yeah, huge comedy thing. But they do music too, and um, they asked us to do Murmur on February 1 and Reckoning on February 2. So there'll be two separate shows. Wow. And then um, and then we've got Minneapolis, February 4th, Athens, February 8th, Chapel Hill, February 9th, D.C., February 10th, Ardmore, Pennsylvania, February 12th, Cambridge, Massachusetts, February 13th, and ending in Brooklyn, February 14th, Valentine's Day. For the East Coast shows, uh, Mr. Dave Hill, comedian oh. and musician extraordinaire, will be the opening act. And uh, we're We're excited.
0: Uh, new book too he's got a brand new book as well like very funny guy
1: about hockey yeah uh, yeah we uh i mean Mike and i've been doing these shows these these album oriented shows for 10 years but this is the first time that we've gone on the road with something basically because it just sort of it struck a chord you know the, the show at metro was packed and there was just kind of this beautiful energy and we started getting offers from other venues so we just we found two weeks where we were all available and um it'll be a first and we're, we're excited about it
0: also like it's funny you brought up comedy and that was something i wanted to talk to you about because like john glazer because i know you were on delocated at uh, oh yeah Port michael um you know eating it that kind of comedy scene out of um out of uh, i think it was new boston eating it that thing that john glazer h john benjamin um david cross Tom Sharpling told me about it when he was on the podcast, but it, it's, it feels like very much the same sort of energy that comes about in comedy. That's all these people that were inspired in some small way by punk or, or punk adjacent. Certainly David Cross was a punk. I
2: I've known John since I was a teenager. I remember when he was in Chicago doing a, a non-union theater um, and seeing him in plays at, you know, little storefronts and stuff. I think maybe even before he got into improv, but uh, yeah, he's, he's funny. He's a real funny guy, John. I don't really know any of the other, I I haven't really met David Cross, but I think he's real funny. And H.
1: John Benjamin is an amazing jazz piano player. Oh, is he? He does. This he might bit. be my favorite. Yeah.
2: He's
0: when he what he did on Dr. Katz, I think that's my favorite yeah,
2: character.
0: Yeah, that's good. Oh. Have you and, ever heard did you ever hear the stuff he did on the Best Show? Um, John Worcester's radio show? No. He did a bunch of calls, including one called Blood Sweat No Tears, about the lead <laughs> the trombonist in Blood, Sweat and Tears son. I might be brutalizing the whole thing, the <laughs> setup, who's written a book called Blood, Sweat, No Tears. <laughs> uh, about how brutal david clayton thomas was to be in a band with and it is one of the funniest radio calls ever they got a cease and desist order and then john worcester gets involved as a lawyer and it's just unbelievably incredible wow i gotta like, look that up true, true genius level stuff but yeah like it's uh, uh, you know david cross too like uh, another guy who definitely came out of punk rock and found a way to do it his way. And, you know, I'm a huge Mr. Show fan, obviously. And you've done stuff with the other half of Mr. Show. Great. Oh, movie.
2: Bob, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was fun. That movie, Let's Go to Prison. Yeah, that was a good one. Did you know him from yeah, Chicago? I, I, I think Bob's uh,
0: really,
2: he's a really sweet guy. Um, I haven't seen him in a while, but I'm really happy for all his success. Boy, he's really blown up.
0: Yeah, very, very. Uh once again uh happy to see it happen because he seems like a really nice guy and yeah this has been sweet this has been awesome both you guys i want to wish you the best of luck on this tour and you. you ever need another opener let me know i I, I, can do a, <laughs> I can do a mean whatever growly guy you want no blood
1: <laughs> sweat tears <laughs>
0: yeah no
1: No razors
0: yeah no
2: stis
0: (laughs) thank you jason and michael for coming on the show and you heard right there they will both be back at some point in the future for a part three and a part two or maybe they'll be back together or who knows who knows what configuration Uh, That was a lot of fun. And go and check them out performing those uh, murmur shows if you are in those areas when they are being performed. And hopefully they'll add more dates as well. And go early. See Dave Hill perform. Very funny guy. Very great musician. What a night. What a night. Well, what a show. Coming up on the next episode of Turned Out of Punk, we're going to keep these duos going, but this time with a brother duo from the band Scream, from the band Wool, from countless other projects. But there's a brand new, fantastic Scream record on Discord that they have come back together to do. Pete and Franz Stahl are going to be on the show. And if you, oh my gosh, you are in for a good one with this episode. We go all over the place. Lots of wild stories. Who, I'm excited for you to hear it. And that's it for me. Remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives and issues faced by indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop hate and violence towards people of different races or different faiths and make sure that people have the rights to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems, because these are not political issues. These are just basic human rights issues. People deserve to be able to live free from hate and violence and discrimination And so if there's organizations that are affecting positive change in the world around you, I'm sure they could use your support, lend your time, lend your money, whatever, whatever you can do. And speaking about getting involved, get involved in the punk scene, do a band, start a podcast, start a fanzine, maybe not a podcast. There's lots of stuff that can be done and the culture gets better when you participate in it. Um, Participation. That Something that definitely needs a lot of participation is organ donor programs. Donate your organs. Sign those organ donor cards because it performs miracles. I've seen it happen. I've seen it. And I also have seen meditation really help positively in my life. And maybe it'll help positively in yours. So try meditating. And that's it. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.